0: Good to see everyone here this morning. This morning's message is really the, uh, the last half of last week's message. We'll be looking at the applications of what we had uh, preached from the, from the text in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. So we will have a bit of a review, but most of the material will be new this morning. I would like to ask the Lord's assistance in, in prayer before we begin the message itself. Let's lift our hearts up one more time uh, to the Holy Spirit to the Spirit of our God, to Christ, and to the Father. Holy Father, we ask now that you would now be with your people. We know that there will come a time when we will be in your presence. It will be a glorious time, a wonderful time, when you will be with us forever and ever. But we ask that there would be a, a foretaste of this glory divine, where we'd have the the working of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us. May we see and understand and behold our Christ. May we understand his work. May we see his hand on the things that he's done for us. May we bless your name. And may our lives be glorifying to you in that we have trusted you, that we have chosen to fear not because you have given us your word, that we have rested in what you've said, and the words that we now are going to consider, that they will become a foundation of peace in our lives. So, Father, we pray these things of the glory of our Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen. Now, last week I made a declaration that I usually give you uh, the idea of what doctrine we're looking at. But the doctrine that we're going to consider is not really a doctrine, it's more of a goal to achieve. The visions of the Apocalypse, and there are seven of them, should be read from a certain perspective. And what I mean by that is that pers- or the, the direction or the perspective that we want to read this from is from Christ's perspective. Because he's the one that's saying, uh, I have given this to you. I am going to be performing this for you. The next vision that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ opening seals of a scroll and all the events that come out of that. They come from His worthiness. And so we must prepare ourselves to see that we should look at this world from God's perspective and from the perspective of our Christ because He is truly abounding toward us in grace, accomplishing great achievements, glorifying God in heaven and on earth. So, I want to remind you, try to see things from His viewpoint. Now, last week we looked at the beginning of this or the last part of this chapter, verses 9 through 20, and I wanted to, you know, I took notice of three things. The location, which is the Isle of Patmos, and John was put there because he was a a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the appearance of the Lord himself when he turned around and saw who was talking to him. And we spent most of our time looking at the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. And this morning we're going to take a look at his words and see... The type of words that is going to answer a lot of our questions when it comes to living this life without fear. So John, when he introduced himself, he said that he was a brother to all that reads this letter. A brother in tribulation, and a brother in the kingdom of God, and a brother in their patient endurance. And so, when he turned to hear... That is, when he heard the voice of Christ, he turned to see. He saw the appearance of the Lord standing among seven lampstands. Now, at the very end of this chapter, he says, let me just clear this up. The seven lampstands are the seven churches that he is going to write letters to. And the stars that were in his hand are the pastors of those churches. And so, we'll consider that in another message. We're going to leave that part out for this morning. But we can see that he is walking among these lampstands. We can see that in chapter 2, verse 1, because right now he sees them standing in the midst of the lampstands, but we know in chapter 2 that he walks among them. He was clothed with a long robe and a sash about his chest. We said that this was the attire of the great high priest, and that he is now acting as our great high priest before the Father. We saw that his head was covered in white hair, white like wool, and we said that this was a crown of wisdom, and that he knows exactly what we need. And he's there to help us with that. Dispensing his mercy. Dispensing his wisdom. Dispensing his reproof. Dispensing all the things that we need. We also saw that John noticed that his eyes were like a flame of fire. We said that he can see all things. He can see directly into your heart. He understands every thought. He understands every motive. There is no deception that can fool him. He has knowledge of complete uh, of all his enemies and his friends. There will be no treacherous scheme that will fool him. He shows a perfect understanding of justice and mercy and grace and it allows us to rest under his eyes, rest in this great ability that he has. He said that his feet were like gleaming brass in a furnace. And we said that this was how the path of God can be seen clearly in his life. The way of the Christian is the way of the law of God. The way of his, 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 his purity, holiness, and justice. And it's not hard to find. Just if his, his feet were glowing in the dark, we would know where he went. So is the light of the word of God, our path. And it's easy for us to see if we just love the word of God. If we love God, we will know how to follow the lamb wherever he goes. It said that his voice was like the roar of many waters. I equated that to the noise of the Niagara Falls, but in in, in retrospect, it it looks more like this. Out of the sea rose up beasts and rose up great uh, organizations and governments of people. But you see, the voice of our Christ is the voice of many people preaching the gospel. It can be heard today. It is deafening to the world. It is, it, is, it is a tremendous trumpeting of warnings and plagues and hope and comfort. In his right hand, he had the seven stars, encouraging them, knowing that we are all in his hands. Out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, reminding us that our weapons are not like the weapons of the earth. We can defend ourselves and we can defeat the enemy with the truth of the gospel. We cannot live by the weapons of this world. We pick up the sword of this world, we will die by the sword of this world. But if we live by the word of God, God will protect us. Even though this flesh be destroyed, our souls are in His hands. And it said finally that His face was like the sun shining in its full strength. We're going to see in some of these images in the apocalyptic visions that when the sun shines the brightest and scorches men, it is like the world, its leaders, will dominate people and cause them pain. But when our Lord shines like the sun, it provides life and warmth. And it tells us that He's reigning now in the hearts of men and that He is going to reign in the fullness of His strength. And what is that? The way the world rules? No, the way our Christ rules in the hearts of men. Taking men who are in the grave, raising them from the dead, giving them life, giving them a heart that loves the holiness of God. It'll be in His fullness of strength. So we will now begin the new material where we're going to look at not just the vision of what we see, where Christ is standing in the beauty of His risen power, but we're going to now hear His words and what He says. These are the words of our Lord in this vision. When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And so when we see that there is that uh, event happened again, where... Remember, I want you to kind of, you know, remember this idea that John is going to hear things, and then he's going to turn and see something that's a little bit different. Sometimes he'll see something, and then he'll hear something a little bit different. Because what we are able to see, and what we're able to hear as the truth, or the interpretation of, is slightly different. So, when we read this, we hear John hearing the words, Fear not. Now, what is the circumstance? It's because John fell down at his feet as though dead. Now you can imagine what he must have felt. Seeing Christ in his glory. It may have put the fear of God into him. But I believe it was more the fear of, shall we say, uh, the greatness of his glorious presence. Knowing that our God sees us. Knowing that he has power over us. And, 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 us should, and we should be falling down before him. But you see, we have our Christ with his right hand upon us. And what his message is, is this. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Now I want you to contrast this with what the world is going to see. They're going to see, eventually, Christ coming back. And his right hand will be upon them. But you see, they're going to cry out for the rocks to cover them. They're going to cry out, Oh, if only he did not see us. If only he did not know where we were going. If only he could not see our treachery. If only we were not able to be scorched by the vision and by the visage of his face. If only we would not be in his presence. That is what is going to happen to the world. But when we are in the same presence, remember I've said this before, the same sun that melts the butter will harden the clay the same visage the same face the same god who comes to us on one hand they'll cry out for the rocks to hide them but on the other hand he'll just say do not be afraid do not be afraid now the next words i'm going to divide in two different sections i divided it in two different sections because one is going to give us reasons why we're not supposed to be afraid they're going to be natural reasons And when I say natural reasons, there will be reasons that we can say, well, because God is powerful, because God is all-knowing, because God is great, God has the ability. He can do these things. But there's another set of reasons after that. There are going to be moral reasons. In other words, Christ will have the moral authority to do those things. Because in the next vision, you're going to discover that there's going to be a scroll that's sealed up, that cannot be opened by anyone they searched and searched, but who is able to open it up? And what are the words that describe that person that can open it up? Who is worthy to open it? There is now the groundwork that Christ is laying for you to go to the next vision, and the groundwork is this. Christ has a moral authority to do what he's doing. He has the natural ability, and he has the moral authority to do both of these things. Now, with that being said, I want you to come again tonight because I'll be preaching on the seals of God. Now, I'm not going to the next vision yet. I just want you to understand what a seal is. And so please come tonight. Or listen, if you're unable to come, please listen to the message online. So, let's read the next words he says. He says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. So, with that being said, I'm going to give you the natural reasons. Well, how does that come from that? Well, he is the very first and he is the very last. He has the capabilities he is the almighty God he is all powerful he is he has all knowledge, everything that you can imagine he's everywhere present, on the present he's all powerful you know, omnipotent he is uh, he, you know, he knows everything omniscient, all these things, and with that, he never never changes he is the ultimate that your imagination can imagine when it comes to who he is naturally. These are called natural attributes. The very essence of this message is saying, I want you to understand that from the very beginning, he was God, and he's going to the very end, and he is God. And he is describing the plan that he is about to implement. He says, my plan is from the very beginning. My plan goes to the very end. He is the one who is the very first cause of everything. Now I can remember when I was a young boy you know I, did, I didn't know how to play dominoes but I had dominoes and I would set them up and just put them in a row and I'd knock them down and one domino would knock down the, other, the others and then I would go in this direction this direction pretty soon I would just make all these complex things and eventually I would have my room filled all my dominoes were up I would knock one down and they would go and of course sometimes they would fall wrong and then, but I would just go over and say, let me help you out and just knock it over. You will it'll continue on. I want you to see how God has made all things, but he has never had to do this. Oh, let me help you out. You see, the plan that God has is perfect from the very beginning. And I want you to understand that it will never, ever change. This plan, to the smallest detail, will be carried out and it will be fixed And it will never be altered to accommodate the unexpected. The Lord is never going to be surprised. We must sit sometimes and allow our hearts and minds to just dwell upon this, to dwell upon the mighty hand of God, the mighty natural power that He has. He is almighty. And you need to think about this because when we sit in this world, we look around, we see the news, we see the events, and sometimes the world will say, uh, there's the, somebody ought to take control of this place. Somebody ought to be in charge. But we know that there is one in charge. We have to believe that all things are as he has planned it. Don't let the devil say to you what, he sa- what, what the devil said to the Lord about Job. Hey, let me at him. Let me do this and this, and that man will curse you to his face. Put yourself in Job's spot and say, no matter what you see, Never doubt the Word of God. Never doubt His power. Never doubt His plan. This is part of us glorifying Him and trusting Him. These natural things. We must strive to have this upon our hearts and minds and to meditate upon this. We must understand that God has spoken from the very first and called all things to the very last. Our lives can only see what God tells us. At the end, the Lord says that He's going to take the heavens and the earth and fold it up like it was a tapestry and set it away because He'll be done with it. We, our lives, are like one little thread on that tapestry. We, our lives, are like one note in a huge symphony. But let us never forget that we have been placed here by God, that we are part of a huge, beautiful Majestic creation and he has made you a critical part of it without your thread There would be no path tapestry without your note. There would be no symphony God has made you a part of his plan and we can rest assured that the tapestry is beautiful We can rest assured that the symphony is Beautiful to behold but can we see it from our position? No, but we can see it from his perspective Can we hear it from our position? No, we cannot. But we can still hear it from His perspective. We can live our lives by faith and live our lives one thread at a time, one day at a time, one note at a time, and we can still bless the name of God that He will magnificently achieve His goal. Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes about what that goal is all about. You have heard the question, what is the chief end of man? right now, as soon as I said that, some of you had the answer pop into your head. Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? What if I asked you the question, what is the chief end of God? Now, that's not in the catechisms. You know, no one's ever asked that question in a written form. But uh, I would like to give you a possible answer of what is the chief goal of God in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to consider this. I think that God has a great design and a great purpose of the work of creation and His great work of providence, God plans to present to His Son a spouse, Mm -hmm. a bride in perfect glory. This bride will come down out of heaven, but this bride will be taken from a sinful world of mankind, Mm -hmm. saved by His own blood. Mm -hmm. So God plans to present to His Son this bride made of saved sinners. And God plans to bless all that comply with His will in this plan. And He designs and plans to destroy all His enemies that oppose it. God plans then to communicate all that He is in His glory and Himself through Jesus Christ, the God man, to these saved sinners. We will be in His presence forever. Mm -hmm. That is what I believe is going to happen or what is going to be displayed in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let's go to the next phrase of that where we have, um, well, let me just read the first one. And I am the first and the last. And then he says, and the living one. And I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, I have, made, I, have said, I have said that this is the moral reason. You may think to yourself, I don't understand how that equates to the moral reason. You see, when Christ had to die for sinners, there's a moral reason for that. There's a moral reason why he had to die. He says, I am the living one. Now, of course, that implies that he rose from the dead, but it also implies that he has an attribute that he is living Real living is being alive to God. To know the Father is to be alive. And so when Christ says, I am the living one, He is saying that I am in the presence of my Father, and we behold each other's face in fullness. In the fullness of His holiness, and righteousness, and justice. But in the fullness of executing these things with omnipotence, He is alive. Then He says, I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Now the moral reasons that he has to give us that we may rejoice that not only is our God the omnipotent God, but our God has the moral authority to take sinners from a fallen race and make them the bride of Christ. He has that moral authority. You see, no one can just break open those seals unless they have the more authority to do so, because those seals will reveal a plan of salvation for sinners, and you cannot save sinners unless you die for them. Christ is the living one who died for us. He died because there was a debt to pay. Sin requires death. Now you may say, well, why? Because that is what holiness requires. Now, the sting of of sin is death. You see, it's not as though the devil said, I'm going to make a concoction. I'm going to do something that's called death, and it is my weapon, it is my creation. The Lord, the devil, did not create death. He created sin. It is the strength of the law when sin appears that it produces death. God kills the sinner, not the devil. Mm -hmm. And so when Christ received the keys of death and the grave, it is something he did not to appease Satan, he did it to please his father and to meet the requirements of holiness. And so when he died, he died to please God on our behalf. Mm -hmm. He paid for this sin. He died. We had a debt to holiness, a debt that Christ paid for us, a moral debt to a holy God. Our Lord and our Savior has the moral authority to bring omnipotence to bear upon our salvation. He can do all things because he has the moral right to do so because his, his death <clears throat> was the dealing of our sin. He paid for our sin. Now, with that, <clears throat> I want you to understand that he could not be kept in that grave. Because once that sin's paid for, he is still holy. It's not as though he's clawed his way out and he, he pulled it open. His holiness just rose from the dead because he cannot be kept by the grave. He cannot be kept by death. So let me state this again. The words of our Lord said this the very first time when John fell down as though, what, dead. And he felt the right hand of God upon him. And the first words he heard was, don't be afraid. So as we get into these messages, as we start to understand what God wants us to understand in his visions, I want you to say to yourself, God does not want me to be afraid in this world. He is giving me reasons not to be afraid. He is the Almighty. But what about my sin? He has the moral authority to use omnipotence on your behalf. He comes to you in abounding grace, going through every obstacle. Nothing can stop God from saving us. No matter what your eyes see, listen to what He says. Do you see John now on the Isle of Patmos? He hears and He sees. But no matter what you see in this world, listen to what God says with the sword of His mouth. He has the moral authority to come and take you right out of the grave. And if you believe in Christ, you're being raised in the holiness of God. You are being raised up with Christ. Raised up with Christ, out of the grave. He is the Almighty, but He is the Holy Almighty God. He has a natural authority. He has a natural ability. But he has above all these things the moral authority to do these things. And then he says the words, I have the keys of death and Hades." Now this word Hades is an interesting word. It can can be translated as grave. It is the very same word. Remember when you read uh, where Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? It's the same word. It has to do with, oh... The, the power of this death. And where does it come from? It doesn't come from the devil. It is the law and holiness of God that kills sinners. But now where is it? Where is the power of God that would keep the sinner in the grave? Christ took us in Him and by His holiness paid for our sin but raised from the dead. And He has the keys. Now, You may say, well, I wonder what those keys look like. Well, they're they're a metaphor. Art did a fine job talking about metaphors this morning. This morning he talked a lot about what these symbols really mean. Do you think there's really going to be a key that fits inside of your heart? (laughs) No. It's the idea that Christ has the authority. Now, with that in mind, you know, use this metaphor to your advantage. Help you to understand You can lock something or you can open something. And it says right here, what he has opened, no man can shut. What he has shut, no man can open. But the key is this, he has the authority and the power to do so. He can do it and he has the right to do it. We need to take God off the witness stand and the world needs to stop judging him. Who are you to judge me? He is the Almighty, Holy God. That's who He is. But the world is not going to feel the hand of God the way John feels it, or the way we feel it. When they feel the hand of God upon them, and they see His face shining in glory, they'll call upon the rocks to cover them. But for us, we would say, Oh my God, He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He is the Almighty, who is pure, and who is holy. So, in the way this vision will reveal our Christ to us, we cannot say, well, He is just a a God who is shiny and He has brass feet and He has eyes like fire. I want you to consider this. Our Christ is walking among us. He is in our church. He is in every church. Encouraging, comforting, correcting. Why? He has the ability to. He has the power to. But more than that, he has the right to. He has the moral authority to. His eyes, what does he see? He sees our pain. He sees our loneliness. He sees the effects of what we do. He sees everything about us. He sees the things in our lives that we would like to ignore and deny are even there. But he knows us even better than ourselves. He sees, he walks with us, and He knows us. He whispers to you words of wisdom from His work, from His book, from His pictures. All these things are given to you. And He is dressed in a way that He wants you to remember that He presents you to God His Father. And what He's given to us in this life is more powerful than what the world has. The world can only kill your body. The world may have biological weapons and nuclear weapons and all, napalm, and they may have they may have your information from Google and they can understand who you are and they sell you things without you even knowing it. And you may be fired or you may be hired. Who knows what's going to happen to you? The world can do all these things to you. Why? Because I can hear the, the, the devil whispering to God, you let me at them and they'll curse you to your face. But he says, have you considered my servants, all of you? They still reverence me. They know that I am their God. And God is pleased with the way we take His Word and believe it. And His Word, the two-edged sword that comes out of His mouth, is the only weapon we are authorized to use. Do not, remember the example, do not be like Peter in the garden, you know, who pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the one of the, uh, the soldiers that is there. What's there? Well, what did Christ do about that? Did he say, come on, let's get the rest. No, no, no. He heals this man. Mm. And he says, put away your sword. Mm. We do not use the weapons of this world. We must rely upon the word of God himself. Christ, the incarnate word. And what he mm. says. Mm-hmm. That he has the authority. Satan will whisper in your ear. How does God let this happen? Why is this doing it this way? I cannot understand. I'm so afraid. Just feel the hand of Christ upon you when you read His Word. And know this. You don't have to be afraid. He has the power and the plan that's going according to plan. It's working just the way He planned it. He doesn't have to change anything. And it will accomplish what He's sent to accomplish it. We are living the lives. You have to see yourself as part of this plan. You are one of the threads in the tapestry. You are one of the notes in the symphony. You are critical to His plan. You know? Or well, you mean if I I can make it fail? If I don't do something? Don't worry. God is here to help you. His hand is upon you, and we are going to be part of this. The Almighty is pure and holy, and is omnipotent to bring this about. There is a spiritual warfare that we're going to look in this in this uh, apocalypse that's going to be tremendously dra- dramatic. It's dramatic, mm-hmm. but we have to understand. That God is going to win. And he's going to use the means of grace, which means he's going to use you to defeat Satan. But don't think that it's you. It is Christ in us. It is God in this world, the Holy Spirit. But you are a part of this drama. You are a thread in the tapestry. You are notes in the symphony. God has designed it this way. And one day, we will be married to him. The scripture says the two shall be one. There'll be a time where we are united to God and His Holy Presence will be with us forever. God with us, Emmanuel. And on that day, the Holy of Holies descends from the sky and here we are in His presence. So, I want you to understand that we are not to be afraid. The visions of the Apocalypse should be read from the perspective that Christ is the Almighty Author of our salvation. He is abounding in grace to His people and accomplishing the greatest achievement in glorifying God, the God of Heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that You would bless Your people with the knowledge of who You are. May Your hand be upon every one of us. May we hear the words so clearly. Do not be afraid. You are the first and the last. You are alive. You died and you are alive forevermore. And Father, we want to thank you for those encouragements. We want to thank you for the truth. Enable us to do our part. Enable us to live by faith. Enable us, Father, for your name's sake, for your own glory, we ask for this help. Not that we might be achieving, but that you might achieve your goal through us. May we receive the blessing that you have promised in this book. We pray this in our Lord's name.